If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you know very well that God will test your faith. Well, in this week's sermon, Chris shares a few practical ways to not lose hope and instead thrive through those tough seasons. Let's take a listen. Welcome back, everybody. We're in week 19 of our series, In the Beginning, going through the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 today. So if you want to open up your Bible, I encourage you to have one. It can be on a device. It can be a paper Bible. I prefer paper because you can write in the margins. But anyway, open up your device uh, or your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. Before I jump into today's passage, though, I want to make sure that for all of you guys watching online, that you come to church next week at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling. If you're within driving distance of Wheeling, absolutely come in person next week. We're doing baptisms. It's a huge celebration. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you've not been baptized, get baptized. You can sign up today and we'll get you get you all up to speed and get you baptized next weekend. It is your next step if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not been baptized yet. He made that very, very clear. <clears throat> all right, Genesis 22. This is a rich passage with profound themes. You know, a, a lot of times as we read through the Bible, there's a, or through a chapter of the Bible, there's a theme that kind of goes through the, the chapter or the passage or maybe even the whole book. Or if you look at the whole Bible, actually, the 66 different books written by 40-some different people over 1,500 years, there is an overarching theme that goes through the entire book. It's very cohesive and it's kind of miraculous. Uh, part of part of why we call it the Word of God, because, I mean, it's just more evidence that it is that. Um, but this passage, Genesis 22, has many themes that are so beautiful and so rich, we're going to spend a couple weeks in it, so at least this week and next week. Uh, one of those themes is, is just the idea of God testing us, and we're going to unpack some of that today. Uh, part of it, one of the themes is a foreshadowing of Jesus and his crucifixion. Uh, and we're going to see that very clearly as well. And then a, a third theme that is huge uh, is the theme of faith. Abraham's called the father of faith. Uh, and, and this passage really uh, is the pinnacle of, of Abraham's faith, as, as we're about to see. And so we'll start in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. This is what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, sometime later, we just finished last week, we turned the page. Sometime later, we're talking sometime between, between 10 and 30 years later. We don't know exactly how old Isaac is. Uh, we're guessing he's probably in his teens. So, um, but, you know, some theologians think maybe he was even in his 30s. So we don't know for sure. But it's, this is one of those situations where we turn the page or we turn the chapter and we jump forward 15 years. That's probably about where we are. Um, and it says God tested Abraham, which brings us to that theme of testing. And, and it's important to understand God will test your faith. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, God will test your faith. There are tests along the way, and the tests aren't there, there to mess with us. They're not there to, to harm us. They're there to show what's really in us. They, that's what a test does, right? A test is, is, they're not designed to fail you. They're designed to show what's really in you, what's, what's there. And they can stretch you and grow you, and they can prepare you for what's next, uh, and they often do. Uh, but it's not designed to break you. 
It just it's just designed to really reveal what's what's already there, and that's what God does with Abraham in this particular passage. Um, we will all go through seasons of testing in our lives or trials, and it's important to remember God isn't messing with you when you're going through that. There's always a purpose. You know, many years ago, I uh, I kind of hit a crisis point in my life. I I had uh, Christy and I had bought a house that we were going to renovate uh, that turned out to be the money pit on steroids. Uh, everything that that could be wrong with that house was wrong with that house, and even the things that we fixed and replaced and put in brand new didn't work. It tried to kill me. All right, so I had that going on. I had Lyme disease going on at the time, and it was really flared up, and I was really quite sick. I didn't, there were days where I didn't know if I was going to make it out of bed. Uh, and then at, here at church, that there were some, um, some relational issues. I'll just put it that way. I'll try and keep this as vague as I can, but give you an, some insight into what's going on. There's some relational issues that were incredibly difficult, like suck the life out of you. I don't know if I can keep doing this kind of difficult. And so I had all three of those things coming down at me at one time. And I was wondering, man, am I going to survive this? Uh, I, I ended up going to see a counselor uh, who uh, specialized in counseling pastors. We have our own because <laughs> we're a special breed. Um, we're, we're especially messed up. And uh, so anyway, uh, he was like, you got to take some time off. And um, and I uh, ended up taking a sabbatical. And in the midst of that sabbatical, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to go back. Um, I don't, I, 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 at the end of the sabbatical, I was like, I think I want to go do something else. And God made very clear to me, no, 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 you're going back. Uh, well, I mean, I had a choice, but that's what I knew he wanted me to come back. And I came back and it was still hard. A lot of those things hadn't changed. Um, and it was one of those situations where day by day, I took the next step and I took the next step and I took the next step. Just obeying God, not seeing how on earth any of this could work out or how I was going to survive it. And God used it to do some incredible things. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to be able to say all these years later, uh, I'm in a really good place. The church is in a really good place. Like, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't be reaping the beauty of what we're reaping today. And so God has purpose in all of it, even if you think you can't take another step in the midst of it. All right, so testing, big theme. All right, so it goes on. He said to him, God said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Now, <clears throat> if this is your first time hearing this story or being exposed to this story, this is where you go, say, what? <clears throat> Sacrifice your son? Kill your only son? I mean, if, if you've been following along with the story, Isaac was the... the he was the, the miracle boy. He was a gift from God. I, I, he was Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90. They, they, they physiologically shouldn't have been able to have this child. They end up having this child. In him is the fulfillment of the promise of God that Abraham would be the father of a great nation and, and that, that, that their descendants would bless the world and, and all of this other stuff. And God says, okay, and now I want you to let go of that. I want you to sacrifice him, to kill him. All Abraham's hopes 
and dreams were wrapped up in this child. This is a crazy request, which brings us to that theme again of testing. God's testing Abraham and, and apparently asking more than, than Abraham, I would, at least as a father, I don't know about you, but for me, that would be more than I think I could do. Like, God, you're asking me to endure more than I can endure. Um, and so that's one of the themes that we see right there. There's a second theme that we see in this little piece of Scripture here, you know, the second part of verse 1 through verse 2, and that's this, the foreshadowing of Jesus in his crucifixion. He says, get this, let's read this again. He says, he says, look, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love. Who else has sacrificed their only son whom they love? That would be God. He sent Jesus to die as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world, to pay for your sins and my sins. Isaac is, is a foreshadowing of what God is going to do 1,800 years later through Jesus. And even this is, this gets, this is really, really cool. So where God sends Abraham and Isaac to, to do this is the region of Moriah. Now, Moriah uh, is, Mount Moriah is where Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles, if, if you have your Bible out, write 2 Chronicles 3.1 next to the region of Moriah there. And in 2, in 2 Chronicles 3.1, it says, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So God sacrifices 1,800 years later his son, his only son whom he loves. He sacrifices him in the same place where Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. What are the chances? It's stunning. And there's purpose in that. We'll talk about that in a minute. What, in, in verse 3, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I want you to notice, Abraham doesn't, doesn't delay. This isn't like, well, I'm going to wrestle with God with, on this one for you know, years. That's what I would have done. Like before I sacrificed my son, I'm going to wrestle with God for years um, and, and, and make sure and make sure and make sure and make sure. No, he gets up the next morning and he goes. He loads his donkey and he took him, uh, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. <clears throat> when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Again, no delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And we'll talk about some of the specifics of why he was able to do that towards the end. I don't know about you, but I, I, I tend to question. Uh, when God asks me to do something that I don't want to do or seems too hard, I tend to question and wrestle with, did you really say that? What, you know? And that's not a bad thing, as we'll see. All right. On the third day, underline on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Underline, then we will come back to you. Again, we see this foreshadowing theme of Jesus. What day was Jesus raised? 
Uh, how many days was Jesus dead? Three. He was raised on the third day. How long was Isaac as good as dead? For three days. It's, it's this parallel. And then he says, and we will worship, and then we will come back. Abraham fully intended to bring Isaac back from this experience. He, he had faith. This is the theme of faith. He, had, he, he fully believed that, that Isaac would survive this. He believed God's promise that Isaac was the one whom the, this, this new nation would be uh, brought forth through. Uh, he believed that God was good. He had walked with God long enough to know that God was good. He didn't understand how this was all going to work out, but he knew that it would because he knew God. He couldn't resolve the apparent contradictions. He just trusted God and that God knew something that he didn't. That's why we call Abraham the father of faith. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is the pinnacle of trusting God enough to do what he says, even when we don't understand what he's asking us to do. And that's how we define faith around here, guys, is trusting God enough to do what he says, uh, even when we don't completely understand why or, or what he's up to. That's faith. You know, faith is, is, is not necessarily believing all the right things, although believing the right things is important. Faith is living out in obedience what God tells us to do. And Abraham does that with spades here. When verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. All right, again, this is that, that parallel to Jesus, that theme, that foreshadowing of, of the, the crucifixion of Jesus. What Isaac, uh, Abraham places the wood on Isaac's shoulders and sends, you know, and they walk up to Mount Moriah uh, and, and build an altar there for the sacrifice of, of Isaac. What does Jesus carry to this same place? He carries the wood, the wood of the cross for his own sacrifice to the, the same spot 1,800 years later. It's crazy. It's wild. And this was all written 1,000-plus years before Jesus all right, so we go on. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Abraham did. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He's noticing that there's something missing here. We're going we're gonna to have a sacrifice. We have to have a lamb or a ram or something like that. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. Underline that as well. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Jesus, anyone? God himself will provide the lamb. Um, Jesus, as John the Baptist referred to him, it was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Every single one of us deserves to die for our sins, but God himself provided the Lamb. He provided Jesus in this same place in a very similar fashion all these years later. Jesus was our substitute for the forgiveness of our sin. 
When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, just a, a quick thought here. Abraham is probably about 115 years old at this point. Isaac is probably a teenager at this point, strapping young lad. Um, there is no way that a 115-year-old guy is going to tackle a teenage boy, tie him up, and put him on the uh, put him on an altar to be sacrificed against his will. Right? Again, I think Isaac is a foreshadowing of Jesus. I think Isaac had to have been in on this in one way, shape, or form. Like he was cooperative. And I love, as we look in, at, at the book of John in chapter 10, what Jesus says, again, this is the parallel. It says, no one takes it from me, Jesus, speaking of his own life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Again, that, that foreshadowing, the parallels, they just, just like tick, 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 tick. It's one after another. And then in verse 10, it says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Talks about the fear of God. Now, Abraham has a friendship with God. Abraham's, the, the fear of the Lord as it, as it is often referred to in the Old Testament is not a, a cringy fear. It's not a, oh, what's he going to do next? He's, he's kind of this fickle, uh, smiting kind of God, and he likes me one day and doesn't like me. That, that's not the fear that, that the Scriptures talk about. This is a reverential honor, like the understanding that he's God and I'm not, and he knows and I don't, and I defer to him. That's the kind of, that's, that's when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. In Proverbs chapter one, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And what God is saying here is, man, you, 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 you crushed this test. I just needed to know if you trusted me, if you would obey me completely, if, if you feared me, if you honored me enough to surrender everything, even, even your greatest dream. See, God, God's ultimate goal for us is complete surrender to Him. And it's not because, again, it's not because He wants to be a manipulative, you know, deity that's kind of controlling everything and, 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 and making our lives miserable. It's because He loves us. It's when we can surrender everything to Him, when we find ourselves in these moments of testing and we go, no, I, not my will, but yours be done. And that sound familiar? That was, that's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to do this, but because you say so, I will. And I trust that somehow it's all going to work out on the other side because you're God and you're good and you know what you're doing. And when you can get to that place, there is a freedom from fear in here. There's an ability to live life in all of its fullness. There's faith and joy and peace and all kinds of good things that come forth in our lives. But they don't really get real until it's tested in our lives. We don't like tests. But the fruit of tests are really, really good thing. 
When in, in verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns, or caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. All right. I mean, Jesus foreshadowing is a substitute sacrifice. Isaac desert, Isaac was the one who was supposed to be sacrificed. God provides a substitutional sacrifice. We are the ones who are supposed to die for our sins. God provides a substitute sacrifice. 1,800 years later, named Jesus, and he sacrificed in this exact same spot after carrying the wood, after all the, all the things line up. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I don't know what kind of testing you're going through right now. And, and for many of us, we're not in a, t- a season of testing. So testing is, testing uh, can, it can be a season. We might get little pop quizzes along the way. There might be a big test that we're facing and you're walking through it. You may walk through it for years. Sometimes they go on longer than we think they should or we, we would want them for or want them to. But whatever test you're facing, God will provide. He, if, if you stay faithful to Him, if you choose to obey Him in the midst of it and to follow Him rather than do what you think you want to do or what you think is best, but you obey what He's telling you to do, He will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God provides a way through. In verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. The key to unlocking the blessing of God is total surrender. The, the, the key to unlocking the blessing of God in your life is obedience. It's, it's, it's the willingness to give him whatever he's asking for, to do whatever he's asking you to do, to, to say, not my will, but yours be done. And in the midst of that, he is able to pour out blessing on our lives. You know, there are a lot of us who are holding on to some, uh, our, our success or we're holding on to our, our money or we're holding on to a person or we're holding on to a dream or whatever it is, and we are afraid to let go of it. But in reality, it's not until we open our hands that God can put the real blessing in our hands. And it might be different than the thing that you had in mind. That's okay. It's better. He goes on to to describe this blessing. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham gets kind of a mixed blessing here. And when I mean mixed, I mean good mixed blessing. He gets part of what he wants. He wants a legacy. He wants, he wants his name to live on and, 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 and his family to live on. And it's fascinating because God, this blessing is profound because this nation that God starts here exists today. 3,500 years later, there aren't nations that last that long, but this one has. This people has. So he gets that. 
in spades. But then God says, and then I'm going to bless the rest of the earth through you as well. He's referring to Jesus there, the blessing that will come through Abraham to all nations so that all the peoples of the earth can be blessed, so that we can all have a relationship with God. To this day, in this country, we're here because of Abraham. We're sitting in church or, or, or worshiping uh, with Christians around the world, on, and, and, and it's, because, it's not because we are children of Abraham uh, genetically, but we are children of Abraham spiritually, and we have been blessed through what he was, was promising, which was Jesus. And then in verse 19, it says, Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. All right, real quick. Two questions that always get asked when we read this passage, and then a couple things on how to deal with testing in our lives. Two questions are this. First one is, how could God ask something like this? How could God ask something like this? And the, the answer to that question is, is, is this. Isaac, Isaac was never in danger. You know, think about it. If, if Abraham decided to be disobedient, what happens to Isaac? Nothing. If Abraham decides to be obedient, which he did, and he obeys God, God's got a backup plan. He's got a, he's got a ram in the bush. He's ready to go. Like, he's not going to hurt Isaac. God has a plan. Isaac was never in danger. So Abraham didn't know that, but God knew that. And the second, second thing, and this may be a little less satisfying for you, but this is so very important that as modern thinkers and followers of God, we get our heads around this. And it's, it's kind of almost life-changing, pivotal kind of moment, if you can get your head around it. And that's simply this. He's God. God is God. You are not God. And He can do whatever He wants. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. How could God do that? God can do whatever He wants. Romans 9.20 says this, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? We don't get to question God. I mean, we get to have conversation with God. We can ask questions of God. But in the end, He's God and you're not. He gets to do whatever He wants. Now, I love this this truth about God, and especially in light of our relationship with Him through Christ and the forgiveness of sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that we are invited into a relationship with Him. We can ask questions. We can be honest. We can struggle with what He's asking us to do. But you know what? We are not invited to be God. He's still God, and we're not. And He can still do whatever the heck He wants to do. Now, for some of us, this is really hard to swallow, and I get it. It's very countercultural. But this is a huge step in the faith journey, guys. A huge step in the faith journey. When you can understand, when you can get to that point where you, you understand that God has a perspective that you don't, He sees things that you can't perceive, He has the ability to comprehend things that you never will, and He has the power to override what you want. 
sometimes for your own good or just because he's got something bigger going on. I think one of our biggest stumbling blocks to faith in this it's all about me culture is that we subconsciously begin to believe that we are God, that we are the center of the universe, that we are the the fulcrum of history, that it all kind of balances on us. And sometimes we're just part of the story, maybe even a small part of the story. But God knows what He's doing, and He knows how to bless His kids. He's God, and His ways are above our understanding. Did Abraham understand what God was up to in this moment? I don't even know if he understood it by the end of his lifetime. Could he have known 1,800 years before that that they were laying out a a, a play-by-play of of the crucifixion of Jesus so that when we get to the crucifixion of Jesus, there's confirmation that was written 1,000 years before? That, that happened 18, I mean, that, that confirmed, well, well, wait a second, this is, there's something significant here. Did he know his faith was being tested? Probably not in the moment, probably not in his lifetime. God has the ability to see things that we do not. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Guys, there's an unseen world that we just don't get to look into or understand. There are plans unfolding that are thousands of years in the making, and some, something so much bigger going on here in Abraham than he is aware of. You know, the, the early church... The, they didn't have the New Testament. The apostles uh, went around to groups of Jewish people who knew the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, was their Bible. And, uh, and they went around, and God did this throughout the whole Bible. If you read the Old Testament, you see Jesus in the Old Testament over and over and over again. This may be one of the clearest places, but they would point to this and they would say, look, you're Jewish. I know you get it, but this is what God was up to on Mount Moriah. He was sending a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice. It was his son, his only son who he loved. They placed the wood on him, the whole thing, and it was stunning evidence. In this early, the early years of the Christian church, it was a Jewish movement. No, it was, but, but it was like, oh my goodness, this, this could not be a coincidence. God was up to something big. Abraham had no idea. It's important that we remember and we understand we're not the center of history and we're not God. Second question that always comes up is how could Abraham do such a thing? I mean, how could a father do this? And honestly, I mean, I, I wrestle with this myself. I don't. But here's what we know about the nature of Abraham's relationship with God. God showed up in physical form to Abraham over and over again. God and Abraham had this relationship that, that uh, uh, with a long track record and, and with absolutely clear commands. And so this wasn't like Abraham ate pizza the night before, woke up in the morning and was like, I have this sense I'm supposed to, to uh, sacrifice my son. Okay, at that point, don't sacrifice your son, right? It could be the pizza, right? That's one of those situations where 
yeah, you wrestle with that. But when God shows up in person and says, here's what I want you to do, he does it, and he does. The other thing is Abraham knew and had seen over his life that God could do miracles and expected them. And the, the book of Hebrews indicates that, that, that Abraham knew that God could even raise the dead, so even if he did go through it, that God could raise Isaac from the dead. We'll look more at that and the faith aspects of this next week. But on the testing aspects, how does God's testing work and how do we thrive through it? As I said at the beginning, God only tests his kids. If you're not a Christian, you'll still have trials, you'll still have challenges in life. It just doesn't have any purpose. I highly recommend that you become a Christian because there is purpose, there is meaning, there is growth in this life, and it's going somewhere in the next. But how do we thrive through it? How do we understand God's testing really quick? First First thing is this, your faith will be tested. Just understand, your faith will be tested. And there's typically two kinds of testing. One is a trial to endure, one of those situations where you think you can't go any further or it's more than you can bear, and you bear your way through it, you obey your way through it, and God comes through. And it goes on longer than you want it to. The other kind of testing is is oftentimes a dream to die to. When, uh, um, When I was... In, in college, I, I, God plan, I believe God planted in me a dream to start a Christian wilderness adventure ministry. I've talked about it a bunch of times. We called it um, the ABEE school or the next step. We actually went on to start this. I spent about a decade of my life working on this dream. And then God called me to come to work at a church. And I was pissed. I didn't want to work at a church. I wanted to work in the woods. I had a dream that I, th- I thought came from God. I still do think it came from God. I think there was purpose in all of that looking back, but at the time, God called me to die to that dream and step into something else. And I wouldn't want it any other way. But at the time, I had to die to that dream, and that is hard. That is a choice. God, not what I desire, but what you desire. That's what Abraham did with Isaac. My dreams are wrapped up in this child, but not what I desire. What will you desire? Sometimes you think, well, it's just too much. But just remember, those tests aren't there to break us. They're there to reveal what's in us, to, to strengthen us. This reveals Abraham's faith. So your faith will be tested, one. Two, God will not test you beyond what you can take. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this, no temptation. Now, if you look up that word temptation, uh, it, it translates, this is the New International Version, it also translates as testing and kind of leans towards, towards that. So I'm going to read it as testing. Um, but so, no testing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There was a ram. He provided a way out. He provided a way through. Guys, there are times when I thought I wouldn't make it through. I, I have, a, you know, I have a handful of, like life is not a constant test, okay? But there are times and seasons in my life I can point back to, and there are times where it was harder than I thought it could ever be or that I would even make it through, but God always carried me through. 
And every time on the other side, I look back and I'm stronger. I understand what those perseverance verses mean in the Bible. And I can see the perseverance and the character developed in me through that. And that my faith and my willingness to obey, even though it wasn't what I would have chosen, all of those things grew my faith, my relationship with God, my character, and my strength. God will push us, but He will not break us. Number three, obedience is the way through a test. The ultimate test that I'm a Christian is obedience. 1 John 2, 3 and 4, we know that we have come to know Him if we what? Keep His commands, if we obey Him. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. When God says, hang tough, hang tough. When He says, surrender this or die to that or whatever it is, do that. This is Abraham's test, and he passes with flying colors. Four, when God says, surrender, it's so He can bless us with more. He says to Abraham, because you have done that, I am now going to pour out blessing upon you. I'm not just going to provide a substitute ram a way through. I'm going to bless your socks off. See, whatever we're holding on to that God is saying let go of, He was asking us to let go of it because He has more for us. We can't take hold of what He has for us if our hands are clenched around what we think we want. And He knows what we want, what we need, what will be a blessing to us, what will bring purpose to us more than we do because we're not God. He has more for you. He has blessings for you if you will choose to trust and obey Him. Fifth thing, God is good and He loves you. God is good and He loves you. You must survive a test. Hold on to that. You know, it's I was reflecting as I was putting this message together on a season in my life where, where my whole world got blown up. And I was really wrestling with, with God and faith and, and, and everything. I was wrestling with everything. It was just a really, it was a dark time in my life. But the thing that I held on to through the whole time was that God, I knew God was good and I knew that He loved me. And so I just held on to him, and I held on to that. And if you can hold on to that, you can get through anything. Just because you're going through a, a hard time or a trial or a test doesn't mean that God isn't good, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. In fact, the opposite is true. For crying out loud, he died for you while you were still his enemy. He's not going to mess with you now that you're his child. He is growing you. He's refining you, He's making you better, and He is at work in your life. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus, tests will come. Embrace them, obey, and lean into God. And if you're not a follower of God, look at the evidence of what God lays out a couple thousand years before Jesus comes. 
so that when we see what Jesus walks through step by step, and we can see that it was prophetically acted out 1,800 years before. And if you really want to dig into the Old Testament, there's hundreds of prophecies and things like this that point specifically to Jesus so that we couldn't miss the fact that He was the substitutionary sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. You couldn't have set that up. It's miraculous. He is the grace of God, the blessing that was offered to you and me. And I want to invite you today to embrace that blessing and to begin a relationship with Jesus. Have that conversation with Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You uh, for this passage. Thank You for the richness of Your Word. God, thanks for, for setting this up in such a way that if we have eyes open, we can't miss it, Lord. I pray that You would help us to uh, those of us who are in times of testing, to, uh, to, to thrive and persevere and, and to, to come out on the other side and just uh, with blessing. Our hands open to receive your blessing. And I pray, God, for those who need to, to begin a relationship with you, that you would just meet them. God, that you would come into their lives and wash over them with your forgiveness and your grace, that they would know the joy of walking with a God who loves them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.